Welcome back to the SDORPROTS.com Movies Television Podcast. As always, I am dead. And as always, we have Cave. I am also dead. We are, recording. We are reco- recording this way early in the morning because it's the only time that we can. Yes, we are recording it at the ungodly, unthinkable hour of 11 a.m. <laughs> to, to insomniacs, that is an unthinkable hour. <laughs> uh, yeah, we have a... We have a a relatively packed recording day today. Yep. Because yeah, King Godzilla vs Kong came out. <sighs> and we're going to be doing commentary for that. I'm actually really looking forward to that. Same, actually. I the funniest thing about that entire fucking like movie release, like I have not I have not watched uh, any bu- of it. Bu- don't don't say anything that might be spoilery because no, I it's... have I have avoided watching advertisements for that movie. Because I don't, I want to go into it completely blind. No, yeah. The funniest thing, though, for me, like this isn't a spoiler. This is a take on the movie. Like, so GameSpot, they 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 were up their review of the movie, and then they posted uh, the like review to Twitter, and mm-hmm. and it said, and it said something along the lines of like, this movie is about a giant lizard fighting a giant monkey. You get about what you expect from it, but doing it in like yeah. a very verbose like movie critic way and then literally every person started sort of fucking clowning on them it's like oh the movie about a giant monkey and a giant lizard punching each other didn't have a, didn't have fucking captivating human characters the fuck you thinking <laughs> I, just, I am like I don't know if anybody actually remembers but like if you audi- if the audience has heard me talk about Godzilla I have a very low bar for a movie to be an acceptable Godzilla movie. And that's be better than Godzilla's Revenge. <laughs> uh, that's not a very high bar to clear. Godzilla 98 missed it. Yeah, true. True. That is that is very fair. <laughs> oh, fuck. Oh... I am a I I love Godzilla. I am a huge fan of it. They're terrible movies. <laughs> I, they're 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 bad. Uh, like the human characters can be really captivating and good, but on the whole, they're shitty movies. <laughs> I love them. <laughs> yeah. Okay. This is the exact quote from the guy from the Gamespot post. In Godzilla vs. Kong, a giant lizard and a giant ape fight. And that's the best thing we can say about it. If you're expecting a halfway intelligent script or a set of human characters who act like thinking beings, you'll be disappointed. Alright, Mr. Stick up your ass. To which everyone clowns them. Yeah, fuck you guys. If you go to a Godzilla vs. King Kong movie expecting anything more than Godzilla vs. King Kong... I'm sorry. <laughs> and then someone point and then someone pointed out that the game spot gave a nine out of ten to Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four. I never got I didn't get the chance to see Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four. I have to watch it when it comes out like on HBO Max. Like it did. Again. Again, I okay. said. Again. Yeah, it I, I, 
I was busy. Not very good. I was busy. That's a shame. Yeah. So I, I've with with 1984 specifically, I watched the first 15 minutes of it and tapped out when Kristen Wig Kristen Wig walked in with massive taped up glasses carrying a stack of folders, spilled them all on the floor and dropped down, asked someone to help and then they ignored her while laughing, what a nerd, and she's in her 30s. At that point I was just what? like yeah, it starts out with the goddamn, oh no, I dropped my papers and my glasses and my papers. Can someone help? Oh, hi, friend. Oh, ignore me. But what am I going to do without all my papers? That wow, happened. that's dumb. To a, to a working adult. And then one of them came over and was like, oh, hey, life isn't high school. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it also like and th- this is just a this is like a small nitpick, but it's kind of important, I guess, to like the plot they had set up, where Wonder Woman was incredibly hidden and like didn't really interact with the world from World War One to <gasps> Justice League, and in spite of all that, she was still you know running around a mall in full costume with the lasso, swinging from rafters, throwing little girls into teddy bears to get them out of the way of explosions. Set piece. Set piece. Yeah. If you don't have your set piece moments. Yeah, she does all that while also just sprinting down the street, just helping randos, and and everyone's like, is the Wonder Woman real? Uh, World War One, I can believe that, like, Nobody believed the reports of an Amazonian woman helping to win the fucking war. Yeah, but seeing but that, but having that on. woman running down the streets of Washington, D.C., then fighting terrorists in a mall for like three minutes before destroying the cameras. Like she jumps in there, standing in full view of everyone, and is like, ah, I'm here. I've stopped some of the bad guys. Now, let me destroy the cameras so they won't see me. <laughs> I won't say I won't do anything about the literal hundreds of people looking at me right now. No one will ever believe them. Ha ha! That would be hilarious if you just like went to the middle of the crowd, just began like flying away or something, and just screamed, "No one will ever believe you!" <laughs> Isn't there an actor who like goes up and steals people's fries and shit and says that? Bill Murray. Bill Murray, yeah. He'll, like, take people's food. He'll, like, crash their parties. He'll just do random dumb shit and then just go, no one will ever believe you, and then leave. <laughs> and That's I'd be the like, report doesn't anyway. matter. I hung out with Bill Murray. <laughs> uh, yeah, I got to hang out with Bill Murray for a bit. I thought it'd be way more fun, but he's just really sad now. <laughs> I mean, I guess it shows if you've seen his movies. Uh, anyway, speaking of movies, we have movies to talk about because we watched some movies and TV and stuff. I guess Woo-hoo. we we actually did our jobs, yay! <laughs> uh, so, what have you been watching, Cave? Uh, well, uh, let's start in the foreign market. I have been watching Ronma One Half. I have been enjoying Ronma One Half. 
Uh, Ranma One Half is a uh, Japanese uh, comedy, as best I can describe it. It seems to be taking the piss out of martial arts, just in general. Uh, I think mostly martial arts movies, because that's the extremes that these characters go to. Yeah. Um, we've got uh, one family that we focus a little bit on. Um, it's a family with a martial arts instructor father and three daughters, and... Because it was made in the 80s, the father strictly believes that a male has to take over running his martial arts studio for him, even though his daughter is one of the most insanely badass martial artists I've ever seen. <laughs> um, uh, I'm sure Dead will correct me if I get any of these names wrong, but you've got Yumi, the oldest sister, who seems to just be like the housewife character. Uh, Nibiki, who is the instigator. She is a manipulative, money-hungry bitch who has fun starting shit and making, just making shit happen. Uh, and, like, she's actually kind of essential to how irritating another character is. And I say she, I, I call her a bitch. She's funny. If I knew her in real life, I'd kick her in the taco and run. <laughs> because she is a terrible person. But she she adds to a lot of the humor in the show. And then there's Akane, who is one of the main characters. I, I say there are two main characters. Um, the other one I'll get to like, at the end of this. Um, but Akane is the deadly as hell martial artist of the family. Like, I'm not sure how competent even her father is. Uh, compared to her. <laughs> like... She, I, I, I seem to remember her beating him on the reg, so it's like why he thinks that he needs a male heir when she can kick his ass, I don't know. Tradition. That's why. Yeah, fuck tradition. Um, yeah, tell that to the stereotypic ideal of the country of Japan. Yeah, I know. Um, but... Akane is our main female lead. Uh, she is engaged to Ranma because they're the same age. Um, and her like her main bit comes in a bit later. Uh, one, after, after I've talked about Ranma, I'll, ta I'll talk about that. Then you, we get to Ranma's side of things, and Ranma just seems to bring trouble with him. Uh, <laughs> Ranma's father is cursed to turn into a panda because he fell into a cursed spring. Uh, Ranma's only real rival that I know of as of yet, uh, Ryoga, fell into the uh, spring of the drowned boar and is cursed to turn into a boar. All of these, all of the characters on Ranma's side of things so far are cursed to turn into something whenever they're doused with cold water. And Ranma's curse is that he uh, turns into a little girl. Well... Uh, a nubile young woman. Uh, I'm not sure how old she's supposed to be, uh, but like Ranma themselves is 16, which makes all the boobs a little awkward for an adult. But eh, what you gonna do? It's Japan. Um, and like, I really feel for Ranma. I feel bad for Ranma because they're constantly called a pervert. Like, seriously, fuck that. They have actively done nothing perverted. They're called a pervert, they're assaulted for being a pervert, and I feel bad for them. The transforming into a girl thing, that's kind of awesome depending on who you are, 
Ranma doesn't like it, but there are plenty of people in the modern world who would jump headfirst into that spring. Oh, <laughs> uh, is the spring? I, did is the spring guaranteed turn girl, or is it just you turn into something? Uh, there are like a hundred different drowned springs, and each one has a different transformation effect. <laughs> but if you find the one that turns you into a girl, guaranteed girl. Okay. Um, like, like the one that turns you into panda, guaranteed panda. The one that turns you into a boar, guaranteed boar. I'm sure there were other uh, transformation springs, but I don't know what they do yet. I'm not that far into the series. Um, as far as I know, there's no reversing of the curse. Um, yeah, no, Ron, Ronma probably got the best one so far because he turns into a hot chick, whereas the other ones turn you into animals so you can't speak. But I had a stray thought. It, like, let's say there is a spring of the brutish warrior and a soldier walks by it. Yes. Does he just turn into himself? Is he brutish? Assuming he's a brutish warrior himself, does he just turn into himself? Like, if Akane had fallen into the spring of the drowned woman, would she just be herself? Because Ranma actively experiences a hair color change, uh, like, their height changes, like, they actively become, like, while some of their features are the same, they actively become a different woman, a different person, even to the point of wearing, like, eyeliner. Hmm. Like they get splashed and they're suddenly wearing eyeliner. I don't know, man. I like this entire thing. Like I've been thinking about this, like as we've been talking and it seems like most of this is just like getting into like gremlins logic. <laughs> I'm just like, it's always after midnight somewhere. So they'd always be the gremlins with this is like, what is the differentiating temperature between cold and hot water? <laughs> Like, is room temperature water warm or cold? Uh, neutral. So is it warm or cold? Neutral. There isn't a neutral option. There is not a neutral option. It is It is either cold or it is hot. There is no, like, hey, if you get doused in neutral water, you become, you become like some fucking intersex thing. Okay, well, I'm going to say that body temperature would determine what is cold to you. So room temperature water would be cold. So then is so then is cold and hot water then a variant scale depending on who goes in there. This series never gets into this and I'm not asking these questions looking for an actual answer cave. I know. I know. I was just I'm just cutting you off before you get into some like 10 minute monologue about like whatever. <laughs> It's important you understand that perspective is the only thing that decides the power of curses, even though we have no idea what the basis of these curses are. Yeah, it just um, it just seems like asking the question of, what if a girl fell in the girl pool? Well, that one is different. That is very different. Unless it, it happens... It seems to be a binary switch, so I'm curious. Unless it happens, it doesn't exist. Fine, fine. Welcome to the world of fiction. But like so they meet they meet, they have their their interactions. Ranma gets labeled a pervert because everyone finds out that he can switch and it's somehow his fault that he keeps getting walked in on. 
Um, Wait, he gets walked in on, and then they call him a pervert. Yep. Like, I know... Because that's comedy. Yeah, that... That might be why I've never gotten into the series. Like, Ranma One Half is, like, one of the most well-known, like, manga and anime series kind of out there. Like, I've been hearing about Ranma One Half for... Basically, since I've take, since I've started, like, watching anime and reading manga seriously. Yeah. I watched the first episode with my wife, and I said to her, if this is their only joke, I'm not watching anymore. And she said, there's other jokes. It's funny. And I was like, <laughs> okay. And... It is. They do have other jokes, but it's the joke that sticks with me because as a six foot tall, 200 something nonsense pound man, I have been labeled a pervert for walking by the girl's bathroom as a, as one of my classmates was walking out of it. It's not fun. You never had that happen. Oh yeah. yeah. But yeah this is just like from you know years of reading and watching anime manga stuff uh it it's a regular recurring joke where just something completely out of the power of the main character happens at to which everyone screams pervert yep it's just like the nosebleed thing is something that fucking really bugs me just i know that that's like a i know that that's like i guess a thing but I have I have seen more than one series where a guy gets like fucking hit in the face, his nose starts bleeding, a girl walks in front of him, sees the nose bleed, and then immediately goes, you fucking pervert, and slaps the shit out of him. Yeah. Uh, the comedy in Ronald One Half comes in from the other characters. Um, however... Ranma quite often does get, like, blamed for situations outside of his control and get punished for them. And I'm sitting there like... Why? Why is this funny to people? Because like, ha sha sha. But uh, one of the characters that I enjoy seeing Ranma interact with, because Ranma regularly stomps the asshole in the face, and the asshole deserves it, is a character called Yuno. They are that high schooler who is so obsessed with themselves that they're constantly like, and the school gave me this nickname slash title, and literally... The first episode he does this, his classmates are like, didn't he give himself that title? Didn't he have another title last week? (laughs) (laughs) Just sitting there like, yes, I knew that kid. Thank you. And he is a badass kendo artist. Like, wooden sword cuts down a tree. Like, so, like, he should be able to fight on Ranma's level, Ranma is strictly better than him, but Yuno is one of the few people who can actually land a hit on Ranma so far. Um, And Nibiki has basically been goading Yuno for years because Yuno has a crush on Akane. And Nibiki is like, I'll sell you a sister of my, uh, I'll I'll sell you a photo of my sister training for a thousand yen. Ugh, fine, here. (laughs) Um, okay, and then just, just Ranma, two things for that. What? Uh, first up, according to this thing's name's Kuno. Kuno? Mm, then either I'm misremembering or my, uh, my, my dub is bad. I'm, I'm probably misremembering. Yeah, uh, Tadewaki Kuno. 
from the Kudo family, Kendo, Captain of the Tent, Kendo team, the pigtailed girl he's a big fan of. I was getting to that. And so yeah, he, my, my he, second thing, he, my second thing is, bitch, you're going to sell a naked picture of your sister for 10 bucks? No, no, no. Not a naked picture. Just a picture of her, picture of her training. You're going to sell a picture of your sweaty sister for 10 bucks? <laughs> Least hey. this fucker. <laughs> so can we want a picture of my fucking sister? Great, that'll be two thousand dollars. Fuck you. Uh, high schoolers in the eighties, not like ten bucks is like it's not ten a bucks good is amount of nothing. money, but they're in high school. It's they not know a good math. amount of money, but I can I can understand her being like, I'll ask for ten bucks for this. He, they're um, in fucking high school. They know numbers bigger than twenty. I honestly think that she mostly charges him to see how how far he's willing to go, because like I said, like Seuss is to his grandmother, Kuno is to Nibiki. This bastard is her soap operas. Um, but uh, at one point, uh, he finds out that Ranma is engaged to Akane, challenges Ranma to a duel. Ranma transforms, and Kuno misses Ranma. Like, he doesn't see Ranma transforming. So even though Ranma is wearing the same clothes, and at one point even says, so you know my secret... Kuno is like, no, I'm in love with you. <laughs> and the pictures Nabiki sells of Ranma are uh, a little bit more X-rated. <laughs> like, got pictures of Ranma sleeping, Ranma topless, girl form Ranma, not boy form Ranma. I assume. Um, and it's like... Kuno is my favorite character because he's constantly being punished for things that he deserves. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny to me. Now, then we get to the other character that like just leads to me being annoyed. And that's Ryoga. Or Pichan. Ryoga or Ryoka. I believe the show said it both ways at this point. Uh... Used to go to, like, went to middle school with Ranma. Ranma kept getting, like, the last loaf of bread at lunch. And Ryoga challenged him to a duel of honor. And then, like, went to China by mistake. Like, Ryoga's gag is he has such a terrible sense of direction that he can pass a place five times and still not find where he's going. Like, he has to re reg regularly grab people and be like, where am I? To find out where he is so that he can try and be in the right place. That works to a he degree. Fell, he was like, chasing... Like... It, that works, it, that works, it's stupidly extreme. Yeah, like, it works in, like, One Piece with Zoro. But, like, Zoro doesn't leave the island he's on. Well, Ryoga had to travel to China to hunt down Ranma. So. I'm assuming this was set in Japan, right? It was set in Japan. Ryoga, like, I, I, I exaggerate when I say how lost Ryoga gets. Like, But Ryoga travels all over Japan trying to find one place, gets there, 
and then gets upset, leaves, and somehow winds up in another part of Japan. So, so no, like, like being he, in China, he ends up in China. Look at the wiki. Yeah, well, he's chasing after Ranma. Ranma goes to China. Okay. He goes to China. Okay. Yes. Okay, that makes more like, sense because it was like that's hey, why that's why he winds up in China. It's like, hey, I'll meet you in Kyosho. I'll meet you on the exact same island we're on, but like down the street, and then he's in China. Well, he says, "I'll meet you in the lot behind my house," and winds up in Tokyo. And he's mad at Ranma because Ranma left after waiting for three days. And he's like, but what happened when I was there on the fourth day? You were not. It's like, yeah, bitch, you didn't show up for four days. <laughs> so I hate Ryoga. Um, however, Ryoga turns into an adorable little pig. And Akane loves Pichan. <laughs> and, like, the only time... Pichon doesn't enjoy being held by Akane is when it's bath time. Naturally. And she always smashes Pichon into her boobs. Again, naturally. And anytime Ranma tries to, you know, talk to Ryoga or anything like that, he just turns into Pichon, bites him, and then gets Akane to defend him. So you can understand why I fucking hate Pichon. Yeah. You could just call him Ryoga. Instead of Pichon. No, I feel it more dis I I feel it more disrespectful to refer to him by his pig name. Cause I hate him. <laughs> if he's willingly turning into a pig though, it's not really disrespectful. He's he's making the choice to do it. I hate him. <laughs> <sighs> But yeah, that's Ranma one half. Um, I'm really enjoying it so far. <laughs> it's pretty much like, like I, I sat here and talked about the things that I don't like because all the things I do like are hard to explain. It's a comedy. Yeah. The comedy com is so subjective. Yeah. You know, much like everything we discuss here because we're discussing art. <laughs> I know this isn't the games podcast, but like fucking... I always feel the need to say that whenever the, whenever subjectivity and objectivity are brought up. Yes, like when it, when it comes to being a critic, there's really no such thing as being objective. But like I feel like comedy is one of those things that I can't really explain why I enjoy it. Like um oh, there's a Dr. Tofu who's in love with uh, Akane's older sister and like Normally, it's just light-hearted, silly humor, but whenever Akane's sister's around, he turns into, like, the clumsiest, most awkward man in the world, and somehow they make it funny. Because normally, when someone's being clumsy and awkward, I'm just like, I feel for you, brother. Yeah, same. But with him, it's, oh, you almost killed Ranma because your girlfriend was in the room. That's cute. <laughs> oh, manslaughter. And Ranma actively gets assaulted to get better. Uh. There's also a running gag where, like, the doctor can identify Akane's handiwork when it comes to people's injuries. It's like, ah, yes, I can tell from the way the stitching of this baseball hit you that Akane was the one who hit this baseball. 
Ah, yes, I can see a fingerprint embedded into your skull. Connie must have poked you. Oh. But moving on. You still there? Can you hear me? Okay. Um, my computer seems to be acting up again. Yeah. <laughs> um, I finally sat down and watched The Mandalorian. Now, right. uh, the reason I watched it is because everyone I talked to about this, Hi. whenever I would ask, hey, does he take his mask off? They'd be like, no. I was like, well, then does he at least talk? And they're like, yeah, sometimes. And like, and even you. I talked to about this and you're like, yeah, he talks kind of. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm not going to watch it because if he doesn't at least take his helmet off, I at least want there to be dialogue so that he's an interesting character. Yeah. And, and, he, and no he one ever talked about how snarky and funny this man is. You never asked. You just said, does he talk? And we go, yeah, a bit because he talks a bit. I was watching binging with Babish. And it was the Bone Broth Soup episode. And I was like, okay, sure, I'll watch this because I'm bored. And he shows, like, the scene where Mando fights against the uh, former shock trooper. And he's like, you want some soup? And I was like, that's funny. Let me give this show a chance. So I, I watched a few episodes, and I, I'm really enjoying it. Um... Like, there's not much that I can say that Dead hasn't already talked about, so I'm going to mostly focus on the fact that The Mandalorian is a snarky, dedicated, cool uh, motherfucking asshole. <laughs> like, other Mandalorians try and try and stun on him, and he's just like, a bitch. fuck off. She's <laughs> so like, go sit down, bitch. I bring in more money than you ever seen. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there like, yeah, all right, cool. I also, like, one thing that I'm <coughs> just kind of thinking about with what you said, he has the most, like, ca like character creator default Mando armor. Oh, yeah, no, like, it's shiny silver. Yeah, but he still pulls it off better <laughs> than a lot of the fucking people who have, like, you know, the fucking custom skins on. Yeah, it's so good. He's like, I've been playing this game since it launched. I know what I'm doing just because yeah. I didn't spend any money on any of the like custom skins or palettes. Yeah. I, I didn't need, I didn't feel the need to buy 25 bottles of Mountain Dew to get the custom skin codes. Whoa. I'm not going to spend $20 on a fucking universal shader. Uh, like, oh, so you got the pre-order dance emote. Oh, he, he stands out. Yeah. From like everything. Because his armor is so shiny. Yeah. Because it's made of Beskar. Well, all uh, the armor is made of Beskar. Yeah, but like he didn't get any paint on it. <laughs> yeah. It's, so it's just, it's just it's just like I'm so shiny. <laughs> yeah, he's he's just got like a fucking like standard stainless steel fork as well everyone else has their fucking like you know, like the fucking collector's item forks that got at the goddamn like thrift shop or some shit. Oh, man. I inherited this fork from my aunt. So does that make him the reasonable person or the hipster of the Mandalorians? I think he's just kind of basic. <sighs> like, he's not out Like he's not I, out there doing, like, you know, like, 
he's not out like once I'm just trying to think of a way to word this. He didn't make the conscious choice to go, yes, I'm going to have the default armor. It just seems like he didn't really care about, like, pimping out his shit. You know, there's actually another option. He always puts a portion of any bounty that he gets aside for the foundlings. I think that's just the way. Yeah, but I'm wondering if, like... Because he does that, like, the armor is like, well, you didn't mention that you wanted paint, so I'm just going to put the portion that would normally go towards painting your armor towards the foundlings. Because you're always like, a portion must be put aside for the foundlings, so here you go. Well, I think the portion put aside for the foundling was the best guard, not like the money. Because well, Beskar is money. No, it isn't. It's, it's metal. Yes, but it is also money is money. currency. But it's also a form of currency. No, like in this, in like like the job specifically to get like fucking Baby Yoda, that was if you take this job, I will pay you in Beskar. Not hey, here's the money, and then oh, it's Beskar. No, he he was specifically said, hey, Mando, okay. Mandalorian, hmm. I will pay you in Mandalorian fucking Christianity money. He was paid in Jesus bucks. But it's happens that Jesus. But it's happens that Jesus bucks was metal ore. Like money is money. He he has credits. He has like the fucking weird goo pucks from that alien planet because Star Wars is kind of dumb. Yeah, but yeah, Beskar is. is it's just metal. Okay, I must have misunderstood that when I first watched it. Yeah, like the reason that the reason that, that like, he was like. Beskar is incredibly rare metal and thus very expensive, so it is similar in terms of, like, you know, a brick of gold. But gold itself is not literal currency. Anymore. Exactly. Yeah, to to the man to the Mandalorian people of the way, Beskar is essentially what if gold had Jesus on it? Okay. That is an extreme reduction and largely done for comedy, but you get the idea. So, uh, I, I feel like I need to say this. The way the show was originally sold to me was as a spaghetti western in Star Wars. Um, and when I when I heard about the Mandalorian, I heard about, the, you know, he's always wearing his helmet. I, I, I expected... He would show up, we'd get a bunch of characters that would carry the dialogue of the episode, and Mando would just kind of be there. And I'm very happy that I was wrong in my assumption. Um, Like, I love, I am, as everyone knows, obsessed with Star Wars. So anytime there's Star Wars media, I'm hopeful that it will be something I will enjoy and be able to absorb. That hasn't been the case with the movies for a while. <laughs> uh, this like is, this the first of the new trilogy was was okay, and then they shit the bed. Yeah, this isn't this isn't a dig on like your on like your love of Star Wars or anything. This is a dig on just kind of fandom in general. But I just love the idea of like I am a massive fan of this thing. It has sucked dick for thirty five years. <laughs> uh, yeah, like the TV shows and shit have been good. 
but the movies. Rogue One was good. I need to watch Han Solo. I or Solo. Yeah, I have not had any desire to watch anything that hasn't been like the main movies, just because like it's like, hey, yeah, it's we're gonna it's showing the plans of stealing the Death Star. I don't give a fuck. They all die anyway. Who gives a shit? Woo. Like if they were important enough to if they, like if these characters were important, I feel like they would have been in other things or have been mentioned before. But the only the yeah. only people I've seen mentioned in in relation to Death Star plans have been the Bothans. Yep, a lot of Bothans died to get us this. Yeah, and then with Han Solo, I don't give a fuck where he got his where he got his vest and blaster from. Yeah, no, I agree with that. That's why I didn't watch it originally. It's like, oh, sick! We get, a, oh, sick! We get to see, we get to see a person doing a Harrison Ford impression for two and a half hours. Noise. See, now you're making me not want to watch it. Like I fucking hate. Like it's, <laughs> it's kind of why I just really hate prequel stuff. Like, like I don't, I don't. When I say prequels, I don't mean like fucking Star Wars prequels. Those are whatever. The jokes have been made, but. Like, for a majority of prequels, like, if this information was so fucking vital to these characters who are who are seeing again, it would have been portrayed in the thing they're from. Yeah. You're, you're like, you're just right. Like, I can't, I can't counter that with anything. Yeah, like, like obviously there are some prequels that actually do, like, give new information or like new context on stuff but like that has been so rare recently like the last prequel like last prequel to anything that I can think of that I was like had any connection to was like life is strange before the storm which was hey look at fucking Chloe as she builds a relationship with Rachel Rachel's dead in the main game and Chloe can either be dead or just there but she's awful and th- like I never had any interest in that game just because she's like, all right, sick. We get we get more info on Chloe, but it's a choice based game, and we already know what her character is. So none of these choices matter, even more so than they didn't matter in the actual game. <sighs> I can't think of a single prequel that I've ever actually enjoyed. The only one I can think of. And it's the reason, and it's only technically a prequel because it does take place before the events of the story. Was was Tremors four, the beginning, which goes. Oh to, yeah, never mind. I love that prequel. Yeah, which goes into the deep history of Perfection, uh, Nevada, and Perfection is is it Nevada? I don't know. Yeah, well, it goes into the deep lore of perfection back when it was called Rejection, and it also introduces the fucking, uh, the baby forms of the Graboids, which are these weird, like, sand dragon things, I think the fucking Chinese guy calls them in that. They're, they're just, like, Graboids, but, like, you know, mm-hmm. like, fucking a foot long, and they can launch themselves out of the ground at such ridiculous speeds, like a bullet. But a bullet the size of a football. Then they kill them. Well, then they quote unquote kill them all. Rename the town to perfection. It's still a piece of shit. And then nothing of importance happens for the next 110 years. Or something. (laughs) 
<gasps> and that one, that's good. Like that prequel is good because we don't know who's going to die. Yeah, because it's like it's, you know what I mean. Yeah, because it is so far removed from the actual story of like Tremors that it's just hey, here's a new story set in the Tremors universe. Here's fucking Burt Gummer, but old. I, that's my problem with most prequels. Do you know they made? Do you know that they there are seven of those movies now? I did not. There are seven Tremors? I did not movies. know that. That is insane. One of them came out in 2018, I think. But I mean, what can you expect? Jamie Kennedy's in them now. Are you fucking with me? No, no, I am not. Jamie Kennedy. I think we need to have a Tremors marathon. Oh no, sorry. The last one came out last year. We need to have a Tremors marathon. Yeah, it was called Tremors Shrieker Island. Starred uh, Michael Gross because Michael Gross has become the goddamn fucking like he is in he is all the way in on tremors we need to have a tremors marathon yeah it was michael gross and john header aka napoleon dynamite oh fuck um <laughs> but my I, basically my rule for a prequel is if i know what happened to a character i'm probably not going to be invested mm. because I don't really give a shit. It's one of the reasons why, while I love um, Last Jedi, I think it is. Yeah. The the uh, Star Wars game that came out recently. Oh, no. Fallen Order. Uh, Fallen Order. Thank you. Yeah. Last Jedi, um, Last Jedi was the uh, second film. Okay. Uh, I can't get interested in the story to save my life. Because I know nothing you do is going to matter. Because it takes place between the third and fourth movie so why the fuck do i care <laughs> oh we must retrieve the thingy for the younglings and i'm just like we why? guess to get we the know that we like i know that the empire doesn't get it and you guys probably aren't starting a school because not gonna lie the crew doesn't really seem disney approved yeah <laughs> <laughs> whatever do you mean <laughs> I mean, there's empowered women on it. <laughs> I mean, Laura Dern. She was there. Oh, I think she was there. I, and I want, I want to, I want to, I want to follow their story more because they're, they've got a fucking night sister on their ship. The Night Sisters are really interesting characters. I don't expect anything to happen with their character. <laughs> and that's a real shame. Yeah, we'll learn more about the Night Sisters when we learn what the Knights of Ren are. Uh, but moving on. Moving on from the Star Wars universe, which is really hard to do because I love it so much. I watched a Netflix, I think, original charming it's the story of prince charming so the early conceit is that prince charming gets cursed so that any woman who looks at him will fall in love with him and the only way to break his curse is to find his true love and kiss them before his 21st birthday 
So he's like, I'll just go out and woo every woman I can until I find true love. <laughs> does, he, does he talk like, like that? Kind of like his accent isn't as comedic, but yeah, I, like he he's he's got this kind of Spanish flair to him. Okay, so, so yeah, I think I found the right movie to talk about. Um, so the guy who plays Prince Charming is Wilmer Valderrama, aka Fez from that '70s show. I could totally see that. Um. Uh, but he like he meets Snow White, Sleeping Beauty, and Cinderella, and in- gets engaged to them all. And his father's like, you have to run the gauntlet. That will help you find true love. It's traditionally how our family finds true love. And I'm just sitting there like, the fuck you say? <laughs> this is how your family finds true love. They go face, um, they pass an unpassable pass, escape an unescapable event, and defeat an undefeatable monster before finally taking a leap of faith. Oh, fuck you. And, and I'm like... That's how your family finds love. And it's basically confirmed because, like, my grandfather did it before me, and then I then I did it, and I met your mother. And I'm like, are you fucking with me? And the main villain is the woman that helped him succeed on his quest, who wanted who was in love with him, got jilted, so she cursed his son. <laughs> And this is one of the things I love about curses in fairy tales. You never curse the person who wronged you. Never. You always curse some ancillary motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, you've betrayed, you betrayed me and hurt my feelings. Well, guess what? Your dog now has horrible shits. <laughs> Red diarrhea that burns from his bum bum. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Jesus Christ. But he's going through the town doing his usual, I'm trying to avoid women, but I'm still wooing them somehow. And he meets our uh, our female lead, Lenore, who I, th- I, I think she was cursed to never feel love, which makes her like immune to Charming's effect. So they actually get to know each other as people. <laughs> oh my god. Um, Charming turns on the charm. Uh, and by that, I mean, for the first time in his life, he's actually attracted to someone, so he stutters his way through his lines. She kicks him in the balls, because he's holding her the entire time. <laughs> I, no, this one's justified, because he's like, he's got a hold on her and isn't letting go. No, yeah, yeah. So I, it's not like, pervert kick, it's, let me go, kick. Yeah, so no, I, I, find yeah, that, I found that one amusing. Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the fucking end of the spider verse, just, hey, shit. <laughs> Oh, but, um, then she, like, she had just stolen a bunch of gold. She meets our three brides-to-be and, like, pickpockets all of them before finally revealing that they're all engaged to Charming. She gets captured. The three people who are, like, who govern the well-being of those three girls are like, look, we could throw you in jail, or... Given that you're probably the only competent person between the four kingdoms that are involved in this story, we could send you to protect Charming. And she's like, I'll need a disguise. And to put this into D&D terms, this woman expertised sleight of hand twice. (laughs) Because she steals the mustache off of a guard's face. 
Yeah, that that's impressive, actually. Really. <laughs> Fuck. Like, she is the runaway star of this movie, in my opinion. Because <laughs> she is funny. She's on point with her humor. She's constantly stealing things in funny as hell ways. Um, or she's, like, eyeballing things to steal. Like, she has a compulsion. <laughs> like, she is, like, com- compelled to steal in the beginning of this movie. Um... She goes. She goes up to uh, Prince Charming. Is like, I'll be your guide and I'll do it for free because I'm getting three truckloads of gold from these people. Um, and she takes him on his journey. And Charming's, Charming's just this friendly, well-meaning guy. He like he thinks that the girl is named Lenny because that's what she tells him. And like over the course of their journey, they encounter an impassable pass. A forest filled with vines that are trying to kill you. And we find out that Charming can neither fight with a sword, nor fire a bow. Like, he fires an arrow and hits himself. That's how incompetent he is. That's impressive, actually. Honestly. Yeah. So Lenny's like, look... Let me teach you how to at least swing your sword properly, because we're probably going to get killed if you don't know how to. And, like, they're flo- like they're floating around because their carriage goes off of a cliff and the tarpaulin that was on it turns into a parachute. And Charming stupidly cuts the ropes, practicing with his sword. <clears throat> the horse survives miraculously um at which point like never wish the villainous of the movie like realizes oh shit they're succeeding oh i've got to do something and starts fucking with them like they could like there was an easier route to get to their destination and she makes an illusion to hide it they encounter a tribe of giantesses who um Give me a second. My brain just turned off. Yeah, no worries. All fall in love with Charming because that's his power. It's the only way they survive the encounter is he's just like, are you sure you want to eat me? And they're like, no, we want to marry you now. No, you want to eat that dick? And, um, Lenny or Lenore get like, is left with the half Oracle. She's only blind in one eye. So she's only half, uh, right. Half the time. (laughs) I, I love that gag because my wife, whenever she runs oracles in D and D, she's always like, "And they're blind." And I'm like, "You put them in a game where my character has the ability to restore sight, so I make them not blind." <laughs> this is an active back and forth with us. We do this to each other all the time, and they lose the ability to see the future. <laughs> uh, I wish. Because, like, her oracles are always like, "Oh, they're doomed foretellers that only know the misery of the future," and I'm like. Now they can see. <laughs> Great. Now they know the misery of the future and they're going to look at your fucking face. <laughs> uh, but, um, and she's like, and like the half Oracle is like, and you're going to fall in love with charming or are you, you might join a convent. <laughs> yeah. I don't like, fucking know. And she actively has like a bond villain theme song moment. And I mean, like, it's sung in the style of a Bond song, but it's all about um, Lenore falling in love with Charming. 
And it's it's one of those three day romances that you get in a lot of romance movies that yeah. don't make any real sense, but fuck it, it's a fantasy. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> Man, this I'm looking at the cast of this fucking movie. This is fucking weird as hell. They escape the uh, inescapable. I actually don't remember how they escaped it. Yeah, of course they but, fucking did. Um, oh, that's all this goddamn bullshit. It's like you must do the undoable, but that means it's not undoable. So fuck you. And I really, I really think it's just I've declared that this was the thing, and yeah, someone like, on the outside have been like, "Nah, I could have gotten away from that in no time." Yeah, it's like I said, four nights in there, they all died. It's impossible. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and <laughs> Lenore leaves a note for uh, Charming to meet them at a tavern because Lenore's planning on confessing her feelings to him and telling him the truth. She gets to the tavern and sees Charming telling the story of their adventures to all of the women in the bar, he has no interest in them. He's waiting for Lenny to show up because Lenny is his only friend. He has no friends, just Lenny. And like Lenore sees it, it's like, oh, why would I ever think he could fall in love with me? He has this choice of three princesses. I'm just going to make sure he gets home. Whatever. God, I think. God damn is it. This- I'm trying to remember if this is if the uh, rock monster is before or after this. I don't know, dude, but I'm just going to say, like, as you've been going on more and more describing it and like I've been looking at stuff about the film, it just is sounding worse and worse and worse to me. It's surprisingly enjoyable. Like, it is surprisingly enjoyable. Um, there's a rock monster that Lenny accidentally steals his heart. I mean, literally. So charming, like defeats the undefeatable monster by embedding the heart back in the rock monster's chest and the rock monster is happy. Um, what the, what the fuck? What? (sighs) (laughs) Undefeatable. Um, Yeah, no, like I said, these challenges are bullshit (laughs) because the impassable pass was literally, all right, Let's just bring enough people to chop the hedge back. Woo. Wait, what? Yeah, the impassable pass was vine monsters. <laughs> that could be defeated with sword blows. It wasn't that impressive. Did a fucking ponce? Like, who the fuck is like, yeah, there's a bunch of vines over there. They're vine monsters. They, they, they're like assassin vines from D&D. They wait until you're off guard and then start attacking. So, Oh no, a shrub with legs is attacking me. What'll I do? <laughs> it's sitting in the middle of the road. It's impossible to get through. They're going through a forest filled with them. It's not still not impossible, but like, like it should have been like, you must, def- you must pass through a difficult to pass terrain. <laughs> Yeah, like, like you and I are sitting here. Like, if we were the DMs, they'd be dead so many times. <laughs> like, how many people did they actually bring to solve this problem? And how many of those people died? None. No one died. Okay, fuck you. <laughs> it was just Lenore and Charming, and they made it through every challenge unscathed. This this <laughs> sounds infuriating. It's a character piece, not an adventure movie. Then don't send them on an adventure. <laughs> oh, 
Oh, you are so salty. <laughs> yeah, I am. Like, I've been looking at the fuck. I'm look again. I'm looking at shit about this movie. Like, it looks like a nightmare. Like, maybe I, I don't. I don't know if it's like the problem with Troll Hunter, where like the stills don't work. But all the stills of this movie make it look like it make it look like dog shit. Honestly, yeah, I would say that it's like Troll Hunters when it comes to the animation. I, I'd say that the animation is on a budget. But they do it well enough that I was actively able to enjoy the movie. Now, my opinion probably doesn't have much grounding, because I'm pretty sure that I've said before, when it comes to animation, quality doesn't really matter to me so long as I can understand what's going on on the screen. But, so, let me finish telling the arc of the movie, because it... It's not good enough that I'm going to say, oh, I don't want to spoil the ending. Yeah, I know the arc. Because they do the last thing. Oh, my God. We don't, don't love each other. But wait a minute. They do. Wrong. Okay. I thought that was how it was going to end, too. I was wrong. So, Lenny, like, like Lenny's heart's been broken. And, and she's like, I'm just going to take my gold and leave. And Charming... Charming realizes that he's in love with her, but can't find the words before she leaves. So he decides that he's not going to marry any of the girls. And because he has felt true love, he is unwilling to deprive his people of it. So he decides that he is going to have himself executed to save his people the pain of the loss of true love. Wait, what? Why? What? If if he doesn't have... Okay, so his curse is that if he doesn't find his true love by his 21st birthday, no one in his kingdom will ever be able to feel love again. <laughs> what? Yeah, because Neverwish is like, I lost my love, all of you will lose yours! Yeah, Neverwish is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> um... But, so he decides, I'm just going to kill myself because I can't get Lenny back. I don't know where she went. I'm going to write... He sits there writing letters to every girl who has ever fallen in love with him, saying, I'm going to die. Move on. And he writes his confession letter to, to Lenore, like, look, I love you. I know I have hurt you somehow. I just want you to know that the, my feelings for you are true. I'm going to kill myself. She's like, oh, shit, all of this treasure isn't worth it. She rides off. We get the best executioner in the world. Because he's he's just he's got some of the greatest banter. And when it comes to the execution, he starts doing his countdown. One, two, two and one eighth, two and one quarter. And Charmin's like, why are you doing that? He's like, well, if someone wanted to rescue you, now would be the time they'd swing in for the dramatic rescue. But looks like that's not going to happen. Pulls the lever. Arrows fire. Charmin gets dropped. Never wishes. Like, I won't let you two kiss. Blinds them by casting Fog Cloud. Uh, accidentally kills Prince Charming. Lenore kisses him. It revives Charming. And everybody but Never Wish lives happily ever after. So what I said. Yes, but no. <laughs> because it, it, it wasn't just a, a quick, oh, I love you, and then they 
kiss and make and make everything happy. It was long and dragged out. And so what I said, but worse. <laughs> Not like, worse, better. Like all of these. Oh god. I think I hate this movie. You've never even seen it. I know. I don't even want to talk about the weird cast of it now. <laughs> well, you know what that means, people. Ten bucks to the Patreon and make Dead watch it. <laughs> uh, ten bucks to the Streamlabs, actually. Oh, sorry. Ten bucks to the Streamlabs. Yes, if you yes, streamlabs.com slash uh that'll be the contributions straight to us for your choice of we get to make a thing. Uh, it's actually five bucks for a movie. Oh, ten bucks for a film franchise. Ah, so ten bucks if you want us to do the Tremors franchise. Exactly. Though we'd probably do it voluntarily. Don't tell them that. (laughs) I mean, we'll never watch it ever. Like a dude on Twitter, like one of the only guys we interact with on Twitter who I know watches our shit. Has been like tweeting at me, like tweeted at me a while back of like, hey, you do, hey, you try doing this thing, you do this thing for commentary. And every time I had to say, I had to like say to him, hey, if you want us to do anything, contribute to our fucking crowdfunding sources. And then write down a note saying, never do this thing until they pay us. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, because if you do it, then they'll assume, oh, I can just shout at them more. Exactly. Sadly. Yeah, people don't just shout at us. Um, if you if you have something you really want us to do, it's five bucks. And if it's entertaining enough, give us the first movie in a franchise, and who knows? Maybe we'll only charge you five bucks for the rest of the franchise. Don't, don't. <laughs> you a, don't ever tell the internet not to do something, because they'll only do it then, and they will only be able to yell at me. Because I'm the only one with open communication to the people on the internet. Sounds perfect. No, I will I will personally send you every single tweet they send me. And I won't read them. I will screenshot them, and then I will spam them in both the private Discord that we have with each other, as well as your email. And Facebook. Ha, you think I look at my email or Facebook? Oh. I'll also send them to Birdie. Oh, and to, I'll, send, I'll send them to Birdie to annoy him. Anyway, anything else? I'm good. Okay, then. So I watched some things. (laughs) Well, I do have one thing to say. I love how, like, the last thing that I had to talk about annoyed you so much. Yeah, because it's just... You're like, yeah, it's pretty good. Anyway, here is the most generic movie ever made. I enjoyed it. <laughs> I think I had fun with it. Yeah. And I had a joke in there somewhere that I didn't do because I make fun of you enough for liking Star Wars. <sighs> but anyway. 
So, guys, I'll also start with the foreign stuff because I watched a couple animes. Uh, first up, ReZero, Season 2, Part 2 has ended. Season 2 has wrapped up finally. And fuck me, it was so fucking good. ReZero is a goddamn fantastic show. I don't know how much I can get into. <laughs> Why? Just because I want you to watch it. It's on my list, I promise. Yeah, so I don't want to I don't want to spoil too many shit, but like the basic gist for season two is there is a place called the Sanctuary. It is a like barriered magic area where people of like half of like demi blood which would be like which would be like you know people who are like half human half beast folk half human half elf where once they enter they can't leave the only way to actually and leave it was all built by a mad scientist who accidentally created the robot plague that's destroying the world no it was built by a witch and her friends in order to stop a warlock who was obsessed with fucking her <laughs> Yep, the Warlock of Melancholy. So anyway, the only way to actually get out of this place and specifically to break down the barrier is in order is for someone with the potential to do the trials to complete these trials that has been set up by this witch. This is the Witch of Greed. Mm-hmm. Uh, because within the world of ReZero, there are uh, seven incredibly powerful witches who have all who were all like based on the seven deadly sins who were all then killed by the witch of envy the witch of envy satella who was also a half elf which is the entire reason why amelia our female lead and a half elf had so much shit against her because everyone was like oh you're half elf just like the witch of envy you fucking bitch you know it's dumb fantasy racism But, you know, all racism is dumb. Yes. But this is like even dumber. Because it's, oh, one time one person did one thing. Y'all must be like them. Like I'm waiting for the part where it's not like real world racism. Fair. But anyway, yeah, so she, yeah, so she's, that's her whole thing. And she is the one that's currently kind of going through these trials. But she keeps not being able to pass the first one. She goes, she goes to like do the first one, and then ends up coming out of it a blubbering, crying, screaming mess. And that's where our good old boy Subaru pops in. Because Subaru, because he has some connection to the witches, is able to do these trials, despite only despite the trials only being doable by someone with half-blood. He is a full-blooded human, but can still do these trials. And the trials are, you know, dealing with your past, experiencing your pre- experiencing an unthinkable present, and sh- being shown the potential futures of all of your actions. If you can go, well, he's through- already lived through one of them. Well, like that's the thing. Like it's it's so fucking good because like there like that episode is Subaru getting his last getting his like you know getting to reconcile with his parents in a not real way and potentially speaking to his parents for the last time ever. Because he doesn't know how, because as far as we are concerned, he can't get back to his world. And him leaving, like the last interaction he had with his parents 
was him just basically dismissively was like saying, hey, I'll be back later. Later, after like months and months of not interacting with him at all because of his own inferiority complex toward his father. Like, it is so fucking good. Like, this season gets so much into Subaru's backstory and why he is the way he is. Because for those who don't know ReZero, ReZero is a fucking riff and a, almost a takedown of isekai tropes. Isekai, for those who don't know, is a newish genre of uh, story that got like increasingly popular the last few years to the point where it's pretty much the only new stories coming out for like a good few years there. With the idea of it being... Dude, random generico McBoy gets transported to another world. It is even odds whether he gets sent there by a truck or just magic. Once he gets there, turns out, oh, I have some slapdick awesome superpower. I will get a harem of women, have no real goal, and be the best ever. That is Isekai in a nutshell. Again, a very reductive view of it but I have read enough of it to know that, that reductive view is incredibly emblematic so Subaru he gets fucking matched over to this other world Lagunica as they call it and he gets a special power which is when he dies he goes back to a checkpoint that's it he doesn't get any fucking like magic ability he doesn't get any like fucking magic spells he doesn't get any for- like fucking fighting capabilities it's just when you die you don't really die Except you do really die because you can still feel yourself dying. And also, any of that harem shit you're trying to do, you have to do that a lot of times because every single time you die, every relationship you have is reset to what it was when you didn't... It's reset to your last checkpoint. So it's all just him trying to... trying to reconcile his like hero complex with the idea that he sucks dick. Because he's trash. He's fucking garbage. Like, in terms of both personality and skill, he is the worst. And this entire show is just beating him and beating him and beating him into a somewhat decent person. And this season really pulls that, pulls that to the forefront. Like, we, we see so much growth from Subaru in this season. Like, especially compared to last season. Because last season, we had the biggest fucking blow-up of Subaru where he just went full incel. Oh, that, that's fun. Yes, but it's, it's, it is fun because the show treated that as him being at his lowest point possible. Him being the biggest dink to the person he loves, loves like in, in like like a lot of things that would just that would be like like he that was essentially him breaking and realizing that he's not in an isekai story despite being an isekai story. That was him finally realizing that like oh, okay. I'm not helpful here because up until that point, every situation he'd been in had been able to be solved by him. Just essentially just like fucking dark souling it. just brick just slamming his goddamn forehead into a brick wall and going back to the bonfire. Every time he died, he's been able to solve that. Like most of his problems that way. But then with that end of the first season, it was politics, which you can't really just like fucking forehead slam a brick wall politics away. So we just kept yeah, making things, no. so we just kept making things worse and even, worse and worse. Even if you kill all the parties involved, then you've just murdered a bunch of people. Yeah, it doesn't fix anything. <laughs> yeah, and so then getting into the second season, 
it's about him trying to he keeps trying to like solve everyone's problems by himself, trying to save everyone by himself. And it's just about him realizing that he can't do it by himself, that he has like people who care about him that want to help him. The what? Yeah, and, like him confronting his past and like talking to his parents and getting to like getting some closure there and actually being able to express that yes, while it kind of sucked being in the shadow of your dad, you still fucking loved your parents. Because that this this was the biggest dump of Subaru lore that we ever got, where we finally learn why he was the way he was, kind of going forward, which is his dad was amazing. His dad was like the fucking slapdick awesome bestest person who was able to do pretty much anything, and everyone kept comparing him to him. And when he was a kid, that didn't really matter so much because you know he was a bit better than the other kids and stuff. He was able to like be smarter. He was able to like get. He was able to achieve things that others couldn't without with putting in way less effort. But then as he got older, that stopped working. People started putting in more effort and getting better at stuff, and then he wasn't able to keep, keep up with them anymore. But but with that all happening still, he was still constantly being told, yeah, you're your dad's kid, you'll be fine. Which then like imbued him this inferiority complex where eventually he started losing all of his friends it's because he just kept acting up because that was the only way to get attention that was directed at him and not just toward his dad. And eventually he stopped going to school and talking to people and having friends. Man, I feel for this asshole. Yeah, and then throughout this series, like him interacting with these characters, him getting his shit pushed in over and over again and learning from that, it helped him really grow as a person and he was able to talk to his dad, like open up to his, open up to like this memory of his dad and get some shit off his chest and like talk to his mom and like learn, like learn something about himself and his relationship with his parents that he didn't know before that he like never really qualified or like realized before. And it was able to allow him to move on from that and basically begin actually healing and becoming a real person. And then that, in turn, helps fucking Amelia because Amelia is going through some shit. She has been pretty much since the beginning had her memories of like her past entirely locked away by Puck, who is this weird little like cat spirit that lives inside of her chest that has the potential to destroy the entire world. Because anime. Yes, that's the that's the thing with the this series. The power scaling is ridiculous. Everyone in this fucking show is like is like fucking late series Super Saiyan, basically. Everyone of importance is so fucking powerful, it is ludicrous. And then Subaru is there, who is able to punch all right. Just, that's what he's up against. It is awesome. I fucking love it. Goddamn love it so much. Anyway, yes, with Amelia, her memories have been sealed away by Puck as part of the contract, but then Puck broke the contract with her and, in her eyes, abandoned her. And so, like, her oldest, her oldest fucking friend, her oldest family member that, like, basically her only family, just left. And then she began, like, having this flood of memories come back to her, which is, hey, I watched my surrogate father kill my surrogate mother, and then the person who, the person who fucking brought that situation into the fucking bear... I could not kill them. So then I ended up freezing the entirety of my goddamn village and being frozen in an iceberg for centuries. 
you know, fun shit. For kids. Yeah, <laughs> it's a family picture. A family picture. But no, yeah, it was like her finally coming to, like, learning that, coming to terms with that. And, like, Subaru is there, Subaru is there to, like, help her along the way. Hey, but it's not, but it is very much turned away from Subaru being, I'm going to do everything for you, to, I'm just going to talk to you and hopefully give you the courage to be able to do this yourself. Which is sincere growth for Subaru because Subaru was a fucking like tier three simp. This boy was doing everything he could to make sure his real life waifu was protected or whatever. But then he realized, oh, she's incredibly powerful and is able to do shit that I can't. So I'm going to just be here going, yeah, go girl. You can do it. Where are my pom poms? Exactly. I was actually doing the pom pom motion <laughs> while I said that. Yeah, it's so fucking good. And the season ended, and it ended like in this really satisfying way that showed, again, real growth for Subaru and real growth for Amelia. And did establish this whole new, like, this kind of new status quo for the show. And I can't wait for season three. Hopefully it doesn't take eight years like, like this one did. These are all so fucking good. Another series that's pretty good. Uh, Skate the Infinity. Uh, this is a new, Wait, this a new series. Yeah, this is a new series that came out kind of this season. It is a skateboarding anime. Oh lord. Yeah. It's pretty good. Again, just pretty, it's pretty good. Uh, the series is being produced by Bones, as well as every other anime studio. Like if you go on to like. I think I'm pretty sure it's on like a like AMI News Network or something. And like look up the credits for this show. It's like main production, Bones, associate like like assistant production or whatever. Like people who just did other stuff, and it is just listing like 25 other studios. And I thought harems were reserved for the actual show itself. The show doesn't have a harem. In fact, it has I figured because it's a yeah. skateboard anime. In fact, it only has one female character of note. The rest of the show is very gay. Oh. But I don't know if it's actually gay or just looks gay. Ah. Because here's the thing. The show was directed by the director of Free. You know, the boys' swim club show. No, I don't actually know because... <laughs> Never watched it. Yeah. I think she also was served as like series director on Banana Fish, which is another show that is, from what I have heard, very gay. But yeah, so uh main characters in this show, um Recky, red hair boy, he loves skateboarding. He makes skateboards, he can like, you know, knows a lot about skateboarding. He just fucking loves skateboarding. And our other character, Longa. Our first anime character from Canada. Fuck yeah. Haha. I, as soon as I heard that, I popped so hard. He was a snowboarder uh, living in Canada with his family. Uh, then dad died, I guess. And they moved to Japan. Uh, once there, he meets, uh, Longa meets uh, Reki. 
And the two of them become bros. Uh, and then Reki introduces him to the world of S. S is a very organized and super underground skate race. It's basically like those... Uh, do you ever watch the Fast and Furious movies? Yes, several. Yeah, you know, the, you know, like... You know, like those bits where it's just like a bunch of dudes getting together with all their cars and then just having like drag races. Mm-hmm. It's that, but skateboarding. Just like there's this like abandoned mine that they have converted into like this massive like downhill jam track. Uh, they got like half pipes and shit set up at the top of it so people can just like hang out and practice and stuff. And and yeah, uh, like the whole thing with this race is that it's like no. There are basically no rules. It's just first to get down to the bottom to, pat, to cross the finish line wins. And I'll get into my thoughts on that in a bit. But yeah, so uh, Reki has to fucking compete because he because because he fucked up at work because he works at the skate shop, um, and and Longa ends up taking his place, and he's like, oh, I can't stand a skateboard, right? Let me duct tape my feet to it. Oh Lord, because you know he's a snowboarder. And ends up winning because he is a fucking really good boarder. Because he thinks like a skate, because he thinks like a snowboarder on a skateboarder, he's able to like you know see lines, I guess, that are different, and he can like do things like take corners and shit that like normal skateboarders can't. And then Recky begins kind of teaching him everything he knows about skateboarding, and he ends up becoming a fucking just fantastic skateboarder. And then yeah, it's just kind of about the boys being dudes, you know, the dudes being bros. Hanging out, doing skateboard stuff. And then the villain shows up, and I fucking hate him. Not because he's, like, so evil or anything. He's just... He's the villain of a skateboard race whose main, whose main like, attack is, I'm going to turn around and go up the hill, thus making me go slower, and then I win. So he dick-dastardly it. Dick-dastardly's it. Kind of, yeah. So he's, in reality, he is a politician from an incredibly abusive family. Uh, and in the world of S, he is Adam, the matador of love. He shows up in full matador gear with pauldrons. And his main attack is the love hug, which is a, which is a skateboarding technique, as they call it. Where he kicks up the front end, does a quick 180 turn with a with a with like a relatively tight but not like you know like turning on axle tight uh, rotation so that like the speed kind of carries over and brings him uphill and then slams the front of the board down so he goes uphill a little bit more, thus creating the illusion that he is skating uphill at you. Thus the person he is skating at fucks up, flips over, and potentially breaks all of the bones in their body. Which is what Adam wants to do, because Adam's entire thing is, I, he believes that love is hurting people, and because he loves everyone he skateboards against, he wants them to be incredibly in pain. A technique he develops later is, he just gets off his board and hits someone with it. Just that's it, he just... Just oh, I'm skateboarding this guy. Oh, I'm win- oh, he's winning a bit. Well, let me just get. Well, let me just sprint ahead of him and then baseball swing my board into his face. 
and thus win the skateboard race. Huzzah! Maybe this is just my... Maybe this is just my half-remembered limited experience with Tony Hawk games, but... This seems bad. Like that, Adam, specifically. Just seems kind of bad. Just at the, skating or in general? Like, at skateboard racing specifically. Because, again, the majority of his strategies are... Let me let me begin going uphill, thus losing thus losing progress and going slower, and let me not be on a skateboard anymore. Yeah, he's canceling his momentum, causing himself to stop, slow down. Unless he's so drastically far ahead, none of these moves actually strategically work. And if he's that far ahead, he doesn't need any of these shitty ass moves. Yeah, but like it's weird. It's so weird because he is very good. Like one of his moves, like one of the things he does early on is like he will like lock skateboards with someone, like put his foot on their board, kind of locking them in place, and then skateboard down the hill, holding onto them, swinging them around like he's dancing. So they begin just going like, "Oh fuck! Oh fuck! I'm so out of control! What the fuck is going to happen?" And then Adam is just like, "Ah yes, this is great. Can you feel my hard dick against your back?" Wham. <sighs> I just do not like Adam. And he's one of the only two people who actually take advantage of the whole there are no rules thing. Everyone else essentially skateboards just fucking regular. Like, yeah, they have some weird, like, technique shit. Like, one guy is able to fucking kick off a wall so hard he leaves an imprint in rock. Another guy has a potentially sentient AI living inside of his skateboard that looks like dog shit. And I mean, the board looks like dog shit, not the AI. Like, again, I don't know a whole lot about boards, but I feel like not having trucks for your wheels and instead having radial arms that poke out of the sides of poke out of both sides of your board, the front and back, thus giving you a dog shit turning radius is not a great idea. I'm also not entirely sure how you'd actually turn on that board, but whatever. Yeah, like, they all do, like, regular skateboarding stuff, and then the only guys who do, like, you know, the do anything is Adam and Shadow, another one of our characters dresses like a kiss reject and has firecrackers and a laser pointer to just fuck up and blind his opponents. You know, skateboarding. Yes, I mean, it's... And it's very weird, like that whole thing, because the skateboarding is actually super well animated. Like they do a lot to make it like super, like there's just a lot of energy into it. Like they're they're able to like show this insane amount of detail of what these people like in their skateboarding techniques. It is so just fucking fast and frenetic and awesome. So I'm like, it even makes me like kind of forget the like really badly integrated CG for when they're going downhill on some of their on some of their like POV shots, which. For me, that's impressive. I fucking hate CG, and to have a, to have a CG scene be not that bad to me is a very high mark of praise for me. And then with like the characters, the characters all have like really, I really like the character like interaction between everyone. Like Longa and Reki, they're kind of like the main thrust of the story, like their relationship. And yeah, it's just bros being dudes, and I fucking love that. It's nice just seeing two characters who just like being around each other for no real other reason than to just kind of like each other. 
it's just really fun, really refreshing. Um, Joe and Cherry, two other kind of main characters, uh, they have like this very, they have like the very like Sundere best friend relationship where both of them are like, both of them know each other incredibly well. Both of them have massive amount of respect for each other and both of them can't stand the other one. Uh, like Joe is a chef. Cherry is a calligrapher, I guess is the term. And it's a lot of the two of them just kind of like bouncing off each other where, where Cherry is like, oh yes, I am super refined at everything. I paint all these fucking sick ass goddamn calligraphy pieces. And then Joe's just, yeah, I cook and fuck. Like a real man. Yeah. Joe is the most himbo of a himbo I've ever seen in my entire life. Like whenever he is like not at work, he doesn't wear a shirt. And when he skateboard <laughs> and when he skateboards, he has like a jacket on, but he only has it up to his elbows. Okay. Like he half put on a jacket and then just stopped and like, yeah, this is good. Cause he's fucking ripped. He is goddamn shredded. And they go to excruciating detail animating that shit. And it does, and it, it looks great. And that's kind of what I mean by like it just kind of being really gay. Like there aren't a whole lot. Like there's, like there's one female character who matters. Adam's entire thing is like he's looking for his Eve, and his Eve just so happens to be Longa, a seventeen-year-old boy. Uh, any of like the like just the entirety of Joe just being that fucker. And there's like a bit like when they go to the beach episode, there's like one of those like, you know, like panning up body shots. I was like, oh, check out this fucking sick ass girl. But no, it's Cherry, the guy. And like complete with like anime sparkles. And like the relationship between uh, Longa and Reki. It is it is very friends, but it could just it could just as easily transition into. Yeah, these dudes love each other. Like they're like they can be very like physical with each other, uh, like in the beach episode, just like clinging onto each other, you know, ha- hugging and shit, largely for jokes, but they seem largely comfortable with it, so it could be more. I don't know. And yeah, it just it feels very gay in the same kind of way that in the same kind of way that like a free or a Yuri on Ice more aptly feels, but I don't know if they're gonna go for it. There's one episode left before the finale, and they haven't gone for it yet. So unless it's going to be like a last episode thing of like, hey, guess what? We gay. It's probably just going to be another one of those queer baiting things. Which, I don't know if that would be a knock against the show for me or not. Because it doesn't feel like a, like, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like a valid criticism to go, this show feels gay but ain't, minus one star. You know? I know what you mean. Like, I understand it. However, I also never really obsess over a character's romantic options if that's not, like, the focus of the show. Well, the focus of the show is the relationship between Longa and Reki. Yeah, but it's not on the romance between Longa and Reki. Well, that's the thing. We don't know, is it? Because there are points where they talk about it where it kind of feels that way. You just want this to be a queer show. I mean, kind of. That's what it is. 
<laughs> no, it, it has a very similar tone to a Yuri on Ice. And Yuri on Ice was kind of like the middle ground where they were like, yeah, they gay, but we're not going to say it. You know what I mean? Like, like you're just going to show them having rigorous gay sex on the ice. Oh, no, like they fucking like kiss on the ice. I, it was a joke, dead man. I know. Joke. I know, but like they actually do kiss on the ice. And I think by the end, they do establish that the two of them have like started to have gotten into like an actual relationship, but they never out and out say it. They do everything they can to skirt around saying they're gay while showing them being gay together. Uh, just have them a sing sing a duet as they make love, but we're not gay. <laughs> yeah, it's a bro job, dude. Don't worry about it. <sighs> and then finally, uh, the Marvel shows. WandaVision finished, and we haven't talked about it since the last time we talked about since the last time we did a movies podcast. I plan on mainlining WandaVision uh, like in the next week. So okay. Overall, I enjoyed the temper your overall. I enjoyed the show. <coughs> it kind of got worse as it went on. I did enjoy though the five episode lead up to a boner joke. That's all. Yeah, there was a they they did a boner joke that they set up five episodes previously. I'm going to look forward to that. It is. I'm not sure how well it will play for you because you don't you don't follow a whole lot of like industry stuff. Nope. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see if you can see why it was such a big deal to me. And to a lot of people, but I guess we'll see. We've also been watching Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I plan on starting that soon. So Falcon and the Winter Soldier is the worst title I've ever heard in my entire life. It is very... The competition s- to be captain. Yeah. It is very similar to a lot of anime titles, a lot of like manga titles I've read, which are literally just a paragraph explaining what the series is about. And this one is just, hey, it's about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I fucking hate it. What really? Yes, I hate that title. Oh, you hate the title? I was like, I yeah, was worried yeah. that I don't you hate, hated the no, show. I don't hate the show. Uh, I, like, I don't hate the show at all. I, in fact, I really enjoy the show. Uh, like, Sebastian Stan and Anthony Mackie are fucking great in these characters. They have a really great rapport with each other. Uh, the series looks like it's going to be tackling a lot of like really interesting things, and like the setup of it is also really cool. But just the name, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, is garbage. We both wanted we both wanted billing, so yeah, they didn't have space for an actual title. Yes, yeah, so the plot for those unaware uh, after the events of Avengers Endgame, fuck, oh god, I'm so gassy. After the events of Avengers Endgame, where Captain America gave up the shield, went back in time, and then lived to be an old man. Uh, Sam, the Falcon, decided to give up, to give up the shield. He didn't feel appropriate uh, taking on taking on the role of Captain America, being the new Captain America, and gave the shield to the to, to the Smithsonian to be put in an exhibit of Captain America stuff. 
Uh, a reasonable mean, thing to do. Yes. Meanwhile, uh, Bucky is going to court mandated therapy and doing his best to help take down the people in Hydra that he helped put into positions of power that are still around, as well as dealing with the PTSD of no longer being the Winter Soldier. Which is, you know, a lot. And as these kind of, as these kind of things are happening, um, Sam begins to learn about this organization called the Flag Smashers, who are a who are a like terrorist group that want to uh, eliminate all borders and bring the world back to a state it was when the blip happened. Because they believe that when half the population of the Earth got wiped out, the world was in a better place. Depends on which half. Yeah, kind of. And the other thing that's kind of weird about these guys is that they, as that these flag smashers are powered. Oh, fuck nuggets. Yeah. Uh, so, as, yeah, so as, as the, as the first episode at least goes along, um, it eventually begins to become apparent that the show's not going to deal with race. Yeah, that's not going to make anybody uncomfortable. On top of race, also it's a subject that needs—it's it, subject that needs to be broached. But yeah, on top mm. of race, also how the U.S. treats their vets. Great. Yeah, because you know, you know, Sam, you know, Sam, the Avenger, he tries to get a bank loan. Oh, it does not go well. Of course, it doesn't. A superhero. Yeah. And then the second episode, guess what happens? I don't want to. Sam and Buck, you're arguing in the street. And then the cops show up. Oh. And their first response is to turn to, to turn to Bucky and go, hey, is this guy bothering you? Uh, <laughs> yeah. And on top of that. They brought in Isaiah motherfucking Bradley. And that's a fuck and a half if I ever seen one. So, time for some comic backstory. A few years back, let me look at the exact date to be super on this. Uh, In 2003, a book was published by Marvel called Truth, Red, White, and Black. Written by Robert Morales and drawn by Kyle Baker. The story drew inspiration from the Tuskegee experiments. Which that's another thing. And it was about... There's too much real world in my entertainment soup. And so this was about a group of black soldiers who were experimented on using early versions of the super soldier serum, like early imperfect versions that eventually led to their entire unit dying with the exception of Isaiah Bradley, who stole the cat, who stole like the cat in America uniform and assaulted a Nazi compound in order to try to save people, which then led to him being in prison for 15 years and having the government deny his existence before he was then released. But, because of the imperfect imperfections in the super soldier journey he took, he became mentally stunted. And the government didn't do dick. 
And this was hidden from Captain America the entire time. Damn well had to be. Captain America's a good man. Yeah. And so with Isaiah Bradley, Isaiah Bradley is canonically the first Captain America. Eventually, Cap does find out about it, goes and meets him, and actually brings him his uniform. He actually brings Isaiah the Captain America uniform he wore back in the day. That's good of him. Yeah. And then within this show, we get to meet Isaiah Bradley. But he wasn't a World War II soldier. He was a soldier from the Korean War who was actually sent in to fight Winter Soldier and beat him, actually. He ripped off his arm. Then the government locked oh, him away. Cool. Then the government locked him away for thirty years and drew a bunch of his blood, as well as Hydra coming in to draw, draw a bunch of his blood to do experiments on him and stuff before letting him out and just kind of forgetting about him. And uh, movie Bob, uh, internet guy, uh, he drew an interesting link uh, between the way that they're doing. Um, Isaiah Bradley in this show, and uh, I believe her name is Henrietta Lacks. A woman who, a black woman who had cancer and then, and then died. And then the government and other organizations just took a bunch of her fucking cells with no approval, acknowledgement, or compensation to her family. Which, that could be a fun thing. Either way, they're dealing with race in a really big way. And it is honestly kind of fucking great. Like, it's awful that, you know, having to deal with this shit at all. But it's kind of great that, like, Disney. You know, Disney? The entertainment monolith that is slowly becoming this amorphous mass of nightmares is doing a story about vets and racism in the Marvel Universe. That's the part that I'm confused about. And from what I've seen so far, they're doing it pretty well. Like, they're not shying away from it or anything. They are just going straight up like, yo, fucking racism, man. And it's honestly kind of great. It's bullshit that it's still a thing, man. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, This is honestly riskier than that. Like every time fucking Marvel does like did like, you know, the Guardians of the, Univ- the Guardians of the Galaxy and then like WandaVision is like, oh, yeah, the riskiest thing to date. No, this is the fucking riskiest thing to date. The fact that they are actually addressing in like earnestness racism and the veterans issue using the motherfucking Avengers to do it. It's kind of insane. And I kind of love it. The one issue, like, this, 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 is, a re- this is a recent issue because the third episode aired when we were recording this. Uh, but yeah, they bring back um, Zemo from Civil War. And they're kind of giving him the Loki treatment. Of like, hey, we had this villain who was like, you know, tragic and serious. And now he's doing jokes. That's a shame. Yeah. It was very odd seeing him crack wise. 
Loki, it's more understandable that he'd crack wise. He is a god of mischief. Yeah. Yeah, like, otherwise, the show's doing very well. Like, I, I'm enjoying a lot of the show. I'm enjoying, like, the new spins they're putting on old characters, because, like, Flag Smasher, like we said, is in this now. Uh, the Power Broker has been introduced. Madripoor was brought in. And apparently a lot of people are, like, seeing the Madripoor shit and going, like, the X-Men! And not, like, oh, the racism! <laughs> Because it is like so much of like actual civil issues have just been used as have been like addressed within Marvel as just like metaphors via the X Men. Yeah. And now they're just doing it. Man, that's weird to think about. Yeah, dude. But yeah, I I I do think the show's worth it. Um. If people probably want to know this. I feel like it's a bit too early to do any kind of like compared co- comparison to like WandaVision because they are very, very, very different shows. Like WandaVision was supernatural, like thriller mystery. And this is just like spy movie. And I'm excited to watch WandaVision and excited to watch. I'm, I'm excited to watch this. I'm just I don't like watching shows and then waiting a week. I have been spoiled by streaming services. Nope, I, I, I get that. Yeah, I think this one's like, only I six episodes. I get what Disney's doing, but... Yeah, they realize, oh, wait, we don't have enough new content to keep people coming back. Quick, string it out, for, string it out week to week. Fuck them. Anyway, that's what we're watching then. Uh, News-wise, nothing really. I haven't really been paying attention to it, and I kind of don't care right now. Like, we're still in the middle of everything being trash, so nothing really big is going to be happening for the next little bit. Uh, The only kind of thing of note was they released that trailer for the James Gunn Suicide Squad movie, and it looks not awful. Like, it looks pretty fun. I have no faith in it. I have some faith in James Gunn. The dude and ha- I'm willing to bet that if he tries too hard to make it something good, DC will fire him and replace him. When, uh, so I, I do not know the veracity of this, because it is, you know, PR speak, whatever. But James Gunn has said that, like, Warner Brothers has been essentially just, hey, I want to do this. All right, go. Yeah, I don't believe it. <laughs> I'll believe yeah. it when I see it. <laughs> yeah. We're not going to do it now because I, I feel like sitting here for two minutes in silence while Kay watches the trailer would be really boring. But I would actually love to hear your opinions on the trailer when, like, when, they, when, when you get a chance to see it. All right. Maybe I'll watch it. Like, th- the jokes feel more like actual jokes and not just, hey, I said a thing that's supposed to be funny. Blah. Hi. The cast. Laugh lo- track. Yeah. The cast looks a lot more. So the, ca- the cast looks a lot more relaxed and feels like they have a way more, like a bit more, like flow to them. Uh, they've brought in a lot of like the very, uh, like sarcastic, detached humor. Well, not even sarcastic and detached. Like it's there was one scene that I will describe that will be horribly unfunny to describe. 
but it's like Waller is like briefing the Suicide Squad on their mission or whatever and she's like any questions King Shark raises his hand and just goes hand yes that is your hand to which Edge was like oh we're gonna fucking die on this mission and Polka Dot Man because he's in this goes god I hope so it plays very well in the trailer but again me trying to describe a comedic scene play by play is not exactly great No, like I enjoy I enjoy James Gunn as a writer and director. I think this cast is very good. I think they had the potential to do very well. It seems very funny. And this seems and like watching the trailer at least, this is the first time a trailer has not made me fucking hate the Harley Quinn in it. Because everyone fucking praises Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn. I was like, oh yeah, she's not I have not liked her very much at all in anything I've seen her in as the Har- as Harley Quinn. Margot I've Robbie, liked her performance. I've hated her costume. Yeah. Margot Robbie, fine actress. I think the main thing that's been really fucking her up is the writing because no one that Warner Brothers has hired has been able to write a good Harley Quinn, especially because the Harley Quinn they're writing for is the worst iteration of Harley Quinn. You can't see, but I'm nodding. Yeah. Yeah, I guess we'll see. Uh, I, I'm, I'm hopeful. I fucking, I want good things. God damn it. And like, Warner Brothers has been on a bit of an upswing lately in terms of like their fucking movies. Like, like yeah, there are dips and everything, but compared to before, like compared to like fucking BVS and Justice League and all that shit. The bar has been considerably raised. Yes, it has been raised by the average. But it is still a raise. And so I hope. I pray. I plead for a good fucking movie. But I guess we'll see. Well, that's all I got. All right, then. Okay, thank you all for joining us. We'll be back at some point more of this shit. Um, either the same day this goes up or the next day. Uh, should keep should keep an eye out for a commentary track for Godzilla vs. Kong, which we'll be recording in about an hour and a half. I'm going to get a power nap in. Or eat. Those are my options. <laughs> Yeah, thank you for joining us. We'll be back, like I said, more of this shit. But until then, I'm dead. And I'm Cave. We'll see you guys next time. Goodbye. Have a wonderful time.